재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 This is Koreascape on TBS EFM 101.3 in Seoul and on streaming platforms everywhere. I'm Kurt Asian. Saturdays are freshly served around here. We talk about lifestyle and leisure, and more often than not, just kind of kick back and talk about food and drink. We have the perfect person to talk about any of the above. His name is Matthew Chung. He is a chef and a food consultant and a media project entrepreneur. He's here with us in the studio once again. Hey, Matthew. Good morning, Kurt. So when it comes to throwing fear or sparking joy or excitement in the hearts of chefs and restaurateurs everywhere, there's one word that does it in just, well, I guess three syllables. Michelin. I think I say a health inspector. <laughs> health inspector would do that too but that's only if you've got something to be afraid of right that's true or if you've managed to anger the wrong person ah there you go the health inspector can be used as a weapon in certain uh corrupt cases i suppose but michelin michelin uh usually we couldn't even say that mm-hmm. or we couldn't say brand names on this network for obvious reasons we don't want to come off as promoting anything but sometimes you have to name the brand when they've completely cornered the market on something um and it's a tribute in a way to these the branding success that started as just a little book to get people to use michelin tires in france god knows how many years ago right i mean we have to say the word because like it or not it's become the de facto global standard for fine dining mm-hmm. that and maybe world's best 50 yeah but world's best 50 of course is you know much newer but you know michelin is it is what it is and it's outgrown its roots as and you know little book uh, was published by a tire uh, yeah. tire company. And, Michelin you know, Tires. Yeah. We want you to burn more rubber off your tires. Here's a guide to the, uh, you know, the restaurants outside of Paris. Go, drive, enjoy, that kind of thing. That's exactly how it happened. I mean, so, so it started in 1900, and that's when the first guide was published. Uh-huh. And, you know, they just realized that they needed to give, like, a little thing, you know, with their, with their tires and encourage people to drive out more. You know, at that time, I think there were less than, there were, there were less than 10,000 cars in France total. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted, the, you know, those who were buying cars, you know, the, the, the wealthy elite, you know, to be able to, you know, have reasons to go out and drive more. And then it wasn't until about the 30s that the guide exists in the form roughly as we know it today with the stars. Yeah. You know, so and, you know, that, and that's the thing, right? So, you know. Back then, and it still relatively remains the case now, you know, one star means, you know, it's a great meal. Two stars means it's worth the trip. And then three stars, it's like a trip of a lifetime. You know, you you, you have to make the pilgrimage there at least once. Does anybody have four stars? No. Four stars is not a thing. Okay, it's not a thing. Three is like A++. You can't do both. Right. And what gets confusing is uh, with hotels, there are things like AAA. There's like the, there's the diamond system. And, you know, so they, they, in hotels, the stars are not regulated at all. Okay. But it generally only goes to uh, to five star. You know, you hear about seven star. Five star star hotel. Right. Okay. And actually, by and large, too, that's uh, something that most people don't really understand. For most international rating systems with hotels, the stars don't really mean quite. quality it, re- it it's more of a checklist of uh, facilities and amenities oh, that they have yeah, yeah. so when you talk about a five star hotel it means it has literally just about anything you'd look for in a hotel mm-hmm. whereas like a four star it might not have a jacuzzi you know there you go and it doesn't necessarily reflect somebody's subjective judgment about the hotel it's just a checklist we've got a parking lot we've got this we've got that we've got a rooftop terrace but it doesn't necessarily mean subjectively that the quality is uh, better than even that three star hotel over for, there yeah for most of the guys 
sides. Again, the, the, the hotel star rating system is an unregulated, you know, Wild West. Uh-huh. But by, by and large, most of the hotel rating systems are more of a facility checkoff list than anything else. Whereas with this Michelin guide, you actually have human beings who go in with their own eyes, with their own taste buds. They sit down, presumably secretly, mm-hmm. and they evaluate the quality of the food. And uh, who are these? You know, uh, it's like the Freemasons. These are the lords that walk among us, right? To be a Michelin evaluator must be uh, like being a spy. You can't tell anybody, but you're incredibly powerful. Exactly. I mean, and uh, people, there are still people who know. Um, I, I've, I've spoken to a number of chefs who are, you know, the three-star, multiple country, you know, they're in the, you know, pantheon of great chefs. Mm. And they have personal relationships with some of these testers and with, and with some of the writers. And it's not out of any collusion, but it's more like they're kind of... Uh, they function in sort of like a like a godfather type role, you know, like pointing these guides into you know maybe some restaurants they might not have seen before, you know, because I think more than the 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 testers and the and the and the writers of the guide. Other chefs really, really know what's going on in the yeah. community, and you know, and I, I haven't heard a single story of any kind of collusion or any kind of uh, was it scandal in that world, but. By and large, yes, to 99% of the population, these, uh, these inspectors are shadowy, shadowy figures. No one knows who they are. Well, in a fine dining restaurant, right, um, the sensory acuity of just about everybody, the mm-hmm. chef, the manager, the staff, is extremely high. Mm-hmm. You know, and you notice who's coming in and who's going out and who they might be and whether they've been before and whether it's repeat business. So you develop this incredible, and I say this just from having waited tables, mm-hmm. never mind running one like sure. you did. Uh, you just develop this sense of who's coming to your place. Right, right. And this is actually a, a really interesting trope you see in a lot of kind of like chef movies and books. And it's something that's been written a lot about in nonfiction as well, like how to spot an inspector. Mm. You know, people say there are all sorts of things, right? They'll always come for lunch. It'll always be two people. You know, they'll always order separately. Mm-hmm. Uh, one person will order a la carte. One person will order a prefix, and then they'll do something like intentionally drop a fork and see if if a server will catch wind of that. And they'll generally always visit multiple times. And so if you see, you know, just two gentlemen in suits and they are not quite business colleagues, but they're also not quite friends – you might be able to sniff them out a little bit. So Michelin, I mean, it's a a French export. It comes from the era of the bistro and the high society restaurant in Europe, right? La Grande Cuisine. La Grande Cuisine. And then, uh, you know, one thing that a lot of travelers will notice about, particularly about Asia, is some of the most uh, wonderful food is in some back alley somewhere mm-hmm. or it's being served out of a you know a plastic bucket somewhere or you know what i mean uh it's not necessarily haute cuisine so um I'm wondering to what extent does Michelin have blinders on in that it uh, only seems to seek out fine dining well there are couple of other awards that they give other than the stars, right? They have the Bib Gourmand, which is, I think the, the, the rule is, is it has to be under 36 euro per meal. Okay. But it, that, that's the one that awards the local hole in the walls. And then there's also the plate, which mm-hmm. is a little bit more of a, um, there isn't quite a set standard, but it's for restaurants that aren't quite one star Michelin quality. They aren't quite hole in the walls, but they use good ingredients and good technique. And, you know, so they want to, you know, they want to award them. Uh, the Bib Gourmand, though, that's the one that you see, you hear about, like, you know, the, the world's cheapest uh, Michelin restaurant in Singapore, or the okay. world's cheapest res- uh, Michelin restaurant in Hong Kong. And, that, and, and that's the award that they get. And 
it, it does highlight a lot of these smaller places, like uh, the one in Hong Kong, for example, was a place that served a barbecue pork bun. Yeah. And, you know, it's a very famous place and, you know, it's run by a very savvy restaurateur. But at the same time, I think that the more cynical will say that, oh, this is just, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, they're just a concession. You know, it's just a concessionary nod of the, mm-hmm. uh, of the head. You know, it's like they just don't want to seem to be too elitist. But at the same time, they are doing it. And a fair number of restaurants are getting the bib gourmand. And, you know, I don't think anyone takes too much quibbles as to who's getting it. And so when did the whole Michelin evaluation? thing make landfall here in Korea? 2016. First year. So this is the Why same... Why so late? Well, it's interesting, right? Because the Michelin Guide... It's kind of been seen as the de facto guide, uh, you know, standard of dining around the world. But it's it's it, it's not like the UN. You know, it's not like all these countries are getting together determining what the standards are. It's one company in one, co- you know, coming from one culture. And by and large, at the end of the day, Michelin... Three-star restaurants are generally European fine dining restaurants. Yeah. Not the case here in Korea, interestingly enough. But if you go to the, the, to the restaurants that are three-star, you, you definitely see the European influence there. Mm. You know? um, so, I, I, how, how many, just in a nutshell, how many starred restaurants do we presently have, roughly speaking, in Korea? Oh, total? Well, at last I checked, we have two three-stars. And then I would say uh, 20, give or, take, uh, give or take five okay. or so. And... Um, uh, We got it in 2016, same year that Shanghai and Singapore, also two you know, famously foodie cities, mm-hmm. also got theirs. And, kind of, and there was this big push, I think, here in Asia. I think a lot of people wanted the guide to come in Asia because I think there were a lot of these cities that wanted that international validation that came from it. Because at the end of the day... Like the guide was first uh, was published for in, two, in the early 20th century, it still exists today as a guide for tourists. You know, for people who are coming in from outside, to, who are traveling through your city, who want to make the pilgrimage to the great place. Yeah. yeah and and I, I think that on one hand, uh, pre, you know, pre, prior to Korea getting the guide, I think there have been a couple of statements from Michelin, whether or not if they're official or not, I'm not sure. But essentially saying that I, we're not entirely sure if Korea, if the rest of Asia is ready for this, if, you know, your agriculture infrastructure, if the quality of ingredients you're getting, we're not entirely sure if it's up to what we're looking for. That's interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, you would think that uh, this would be sort of a... an elevating uh, effect, that it would sort of be a rising tide that lifts all boats and would make Uh, most participants in the Korean dining scene strive to be recognized by Michelin. Has that indeed been the effect? I think what you see is a lot more standardization across the board in fine dining restaurants. I think, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I think what you're seeing is uh, what you find in a lot of other world-class dining cities. And I think that what you're getting at these restaurants is... Very comparable is very competitive to what you can get in a great city like, say, like New York or uh, was or Paris uh, in terms of the best of the best. And at the same time, though, I think it's also compartmentalized Michelin fine dining restaurants as well. So I think there it's fine dining is no longer this kind of nebulous thing, but it's more like, is it Michelin? fine dining or is it casual fine dining or is it you know, a hole in the wall? And I think that it's kind of become a category unto itself. It it kind of makes stars, doesn't it? This system creates stars. 
I don't mean stars that you award to the restaurant. I mean stars like the the Hollywood type, the celebrity chef kind of thing. I think yeah, it, it's kind of you know. I think it's like you know when an up and coming actor gets their award, you yeah. know, they can put like you know Academy Award winning blah 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 yeah. you know, next to their name, and I think it really does shine a light on them. But I think at the same time, before you even get that star, you need to have a certain amount of reputation, and you need to you know you you need to be known as a good restaurant before you can get that star. To you don't with. emerge from nowhere. You don't go from being an unknown restaurant to getting a necessarily a michelin star. right 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 yeah a lot of pressure on the chef uh and the owner i guess if you if you get a star or multiple stars because what is given by michelin can also be taken away the next year you might have uh, if you've got two stars you might have one right or that right. star might be taken away so it's um it ratchets up the pressure for the scene too absolutely and you know and i think that maybe not the, so much the guide itself has been under criticism for this but there have been instances in the past where you know tragically certain chefs have taken their lives mm. because maybe they you know they couldn't stand the pressure of maintaining their stars or they've lost a star and so i think that yes there is an enormous amount of pressure i think there is a lot of financial pressure that's involved as well yeah. in you know consistently not just updating your menu that's kind of assumed but in terms of updating your interior updating your staffing you know back way back in the day like it was in the late 80s early 90s it was up until you know up until that point you know the idea of like the amount of gold you had in your restaurant was you know part of the <laughs> stand criteria for being a three-star restaurant yeah. but even then you have other things that still maintained you know um things like staff to guest ratio you need to have just as many staff basically as you have guests at any given time oh, that's an interesting idea mm. i guess If you're in the kingmaker position that uh, Michelin finds itself, there must be um, extreme, well, opportunities for corruption, right? If you you must have a lot of chefs out there wanting to take the shortcut and um, kind of pump their numbers up a bit uh, mm -hmm. by greasing palms. Um, I just don't know. Do they take uh, measures to ensure they are? seen as transparent or no no i mean like i, I the, the thing is about the corruption about like say someone bribing to get on the list yeah if they didn't deserve to be on the list and you know the public will find out it's self-regulating right but in terms of michelin the way they operate it's it's very opaque i mean and it's intentionally so because i think they they want to be seen as impenetrable they want to uh, be able to see they want to be able to be seen as like no one can get to us therefore we're not going to release anything yeah mm. we are the star chamber uh, right. that uh, decides the fate of the uh, restaurant scape of of whatever country we enter Um, is there any specific effect that Michelin has had on the Korean dining scene? I mean, have they put them, you, you mentioned before that, um, it's, it's improved certain standards. Have they given Korean restaurants more of a European spin? Weirdly enough, actually, I think the biggest effect that it's had is actually lowering fine dining prices. Ah. Because Michelin Guide, you know, for like the, for a certain type of food, it can be kind of seen as almost like a checklist of places where to go, right? And I think that as a result, all these Michelin restaurants are essentially competing with each other. Yeah. And I think that there is this push to kind of give a more value-driven uh, tasting menu. So I think before, where, before the guide came and before you had a lot of these, you know, public awards you know, being given to these restaurants you had other ways of determining who was on top like who had the most expensive menu yeah. and I, i think now now just because they're all having to compete compete with each other i think there is a push to offer a little bit more value 
Well, if I know anything about Koreans, we will see more Michelin stars popping up across the landscape because uh, there's a lot of ambitious, young, uh, hardworking chefs out there. So it's only going to improve. Matt, I really appreciate you coming in. Always a pleasure.